Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we've been walking through a series focusing upon the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus' response to when his disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And these words are familiar, found in Matthew chapter 6, is the one we most commonly focus upon. And to a lot of people, we know these words and we know that they are powerful words, that this is a great prayer that Jesus gave to us. But as we've also been diving a little bit deeper into that prayer the last couple of weeks, we know that it's not just about the words Jesus gave us, it's also about a model of praying that he gave to us. And it's a model of prayer that, that followers of Jesus Christ, from, from the time when he sat on, on that hillside and taught them this prayer, right up until 2,000 years later to today, it's a model we can still follow ourselves. The prayer itself consists of an introduction and a conclusion, and then in between are six petitions. Those petitions are divided into two parts of each having three petitions, and we've been focused upon the first one so far. The first three that really are intended to help us focus our hearts and our minds upon God. Before we get to the next one, which will start next week, the next set will start next week. And as we focus our hearts and mind upon God in these first three petitions... We've been hearing that we begin by by remembering, by reflecting God's awesomeness. And after we we ponder that for a moment, the the model then shows us to to reflect upon the presence and the power of the kingdom of God that that is now but not yet, but its presence is here and its power can be felt even in in the current time in which we live. And now today we're going to add the third petition, the the final one of that first section of the Lord's Prayer, where where Jesus says, pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that last line, on earth as it is in heaven, if you you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, or if you're following the online sermon notes, you'll see it listed in there. That that last line is is included in the text right there as as on earth as it is in heaven. But if we were to kind of dive into a a literary study of how that works, that line actually refers to all three of the first petitions. And it's meant to convey this kind of idea. This, Lord, may your name be glorified. Hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. Because when when we look at the the tales of heaven, the book of Revelation, we see this scene of glory and splendor as worship surrounds the throne of God. May his name be honored on earth as it is in heaven. We see that there's this clear sense of the presence of God's kingdom in heaven. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as as your kingdom reigns and has complete authority there in that realm of heaven. Lord, we pray for more of that, more of it. We want more of that to come and reign in this kingdom. May it reign. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then today, may your will be done. When God's will is made known in heaven, the angels of heaven don't question. They don't doubt. There's this sense of clarity and this sense of obedience that may your will be done on earth in the same fashion, in the same way as it is done in heaven. And I think we want to do God's will. I, really, I think most of us believe there's a sense of calling that we have. We, we hear from some missionaries today who have the sense of calling upon God's, or God's calling upon their life as they're sent forth and the people that they work with. And I think a lot of us understand that, that we're not all called to be missionaries, But there's some sense of calling that happens. There's some sense of will that we're trying to discern. And I'm pretty confident in this because as a pastor, that's one of the big questions people come and ask me about. What is God's will for my life? Should I marry this guy? I don't know. Tell me about him. Hmm. So he has no job. 
He has no plans for the future. He's, he's kind of rude to you when he gets hungry. He sits in the basement playing video games all day. Sounds like Mr. Right to me. <laughs> so, so should I leave my job? Well, is, is God leading you to another job? Is, is there some sort of passion or experience that, that you feel God's leading you to fulfill? No, he's leading you to the void, as you put it. Well, perhaps you should think a little harder and pray a little more about that one. You know, what, what is the degree? What, should we start having children now? What is the right church for? These are the types of questions that a lot of people wrestle with. And they, they all boil down to the nature of a question, is this the one? Is this God's will? Is this the one in God's will for me? And it's a great question to be asking. It, it really is. And these are things we need to wrestle with. These are real life things that God does have a plan and a purpose for us. And we should be asking these questions. One of the challenges you run into is that sometimes we assume that there's this, the plan that God has and there's other, all these other options and we presume that they are mutually exclusive. Such as if I don't marry him though, am I then going to be single my whole life because he was the one? If I stay at my current job, am I going to be considered disobedient to God because I didn't step out in faith and then I'll never be able to fully please him? If I go on that mission trip and I delay going to school for a semester, am I going to miss the window of opportunity that God opened? These are the nature of the questions that come up. And it's almost like we're playing this game of would you rather. Have you ever played that game, perhaps driving down the road for a conversation or to a small group and somebody wants to kind of get a conversation going. So they say, hey, let's play a game called would you rather. And the idea being is you pick two mutually exclusive options and you force the person to pick one of those two and explain why. I'll give you an example. Would you rather always be hot or always be cold? Mutually exclusive. So who are my, who are my hot people? Temperature-wise, I mean. Right? Always be hot. Right? Who would always rather be cold? I'm surprised by that. But we do live in Canada. So we're used to the cold, I guess. Right? You can't have both ways. Would you rather, here's another one. Would you rather on your birthday always receive cash or always receive gifts? Who's our cash people? My hand's up. Cash. Gift cards. Right? I'll go buy something myself. Right? But then there's other people who are our gift people. Gifts, right? Gifts. No, you went and you picked it out for me and you thought of me and you bought that specific thing and then you gave me the gift. Right? But I'm not a size small, so i got to return it anyways. So, right? The gifts people. Right? Two optional. Here's another one. Would you, this one. This one I think is a good one. Would you rather always have to speak your mind or never be able to speak at all? Who would always, this gets you in trouble. Who would always want to speak their mind if you have a thought? Never speak at all. Okay. We got some people who like to share their thoughts. <laughs> like to share those things. Good. We do so with honesty, humility, and grace. Good. One more. And I'm not going to ask you to respond to this one, but one more. Would you rather die before your spouse or after your spouse? I mentioned this one because Nadine and I accidentally got into this one a few weeks back. It turned into a whole thing. It, I was amazed. I was amazed by it. And it was determined that God's will is for me to die first. Right? May his will be done. So that's what was determined. Here's the thing. God definitely has a will. God definitely has a plan for you. And there are parameters around that. It's not just a free-for-all. There are parameters around his will and his plan for you. But I want to suggest to you that it's perhaps not as hidden not as mysterious, not even as rigid as we may think it is. Instead, what if we were to approach the subject from a slightly different starting point? Because if you're like me, 
when the topic of God's will comes up, we automatically jump into what is God's will for me to do? Who am I supposed to marry? What school should I go to? What should I do for work? What is God's will for me to do? However, what if we were to turn that a little bit and first ask the question, in terms of God's will, who does God want me to be first? Now, some people, your mind is open to a whole new reality. Wait, who before the do? You see, followers of Jesus Christ, God's representatives in this world are here to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. And that includes being obedient to every iota of the duty that he has planned for us. It includes faithfully being demonstrations of God's character in the world around us. But here's the beautiful thing. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. We can fulfill every responsibility he has for us. And we can display God's love for the people around us. You see, God's will is more than answering the question, what does he want me to do? It actually begins with answering the question, who does God want me to be? It starts there. You see, when we pray, your will be done, I really believe it is first and foremost a question of who before do. It's a question of who before do. And it makes sense if you think about it. Have you ever met a person who is extremely talented, very studious, perhaps they're, they're, they're committed, they're really, really productive, but they're a complete jerk? You ever, ever met somebody like that? You know, there, there's a long list of people who, you know, of, of celebrities, sports and Hollywood celebrities who are super talented. We love to go buy tickets to their shows or, or to their sporting events. We go and watch their movies. And yet they are notoriously mean to fans and media. As I mentioned that, you might think of somebody from your own past. Maybe you had a teacher, a, a boss, a, a, a teammate, heaven forbid, a parent who did great things. Who, who, was, who was very efficient at, at running the organization in which they had a responsibility for, but you were, you were miserable around them. They were not fun to be around. When I was younger, I had a manager at one company I worked for who ran a tight ship. He was extremely profitable, well-ordered, a, a well-oiled machine of a business, a big business that he ran. And yet the staff walked on eggshells around this guy all the time. Like, to the point, to give you some examples, like we had a pretty big warehouse, and if he walked through the warehouse, and the warehouse guys were listening to a, the radio, and he didn't like the song on the radio, he wouldn't just turn the radio down, he wouldn't just turn it off. As he walked by, he would take the radio, and he would confiscate it for a week, because he didn't like the song that the radio station was playing. If I go out on a sales call and I got to write down a phone number, a name, I got nothing. All I got is my business cards. I write the name, a phone number, and a business card. If he saw that, he'd be like, don't you know those cost five cents each? Yeah, it's a big deal, though. <laughs> he saw somebody taking a personal phone call. He took their phone. They were the receptionist. It was, it was really problematic for him. He took their phone for making personal phone calls. People did not like to be around him, but he ran a very well-organized business. Likewise, I'm pretty sure God's not that excited about people going around the world doing things in his name and giving him a bad name at the same time. We see an example of this in the Old Testament. Uh, there is a high priest named Eli. 
We read about him in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now Eli was serving the temple of God in Shiloh, and he had some sons who were priests in the temple with him. And these priests, their job was, they're the ones, if you came to the tabernacle, if you came to, to make a sacrifice, they would help you to do that. But what would happen is, without going into all the details of how the sacrifice was made, they would, they would, they were supposed to take a portion for themselves, but they would do it in a way that made sure they got an extra life's big portion. And they were actually stealing from God and stealing from the people who came to make sacrifices, to worship God. Now, people didn't like this. They knew what was going on. And so when they would protest, these guys would then rough them up first and then take it by force. So your choice was to go to the temple to make your sacrifice and have these guys steal part of what you're offering to God. And if you resisted, you could then get beat up first, but they would still take it in the end. So, First Samuel chapter 2, these men who were called to be priests in the temple of God. That was his will for them. They were known, in chapter 12, it says, they were known as scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. Now, God had promised that the line of Eli would serve him in this fashion forever. But then this starts going on, and God comes, he goes, you guys are cut off. Your who is trumping the do. I'm cutting you off because your who is giving me a bad name. And so we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, where it says, I promised that members of your family would serve before me forever, but now far be it from me, God says, far be it from me. I will honor those whom... Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. You see, on our way to discerning the, the do of God's will, we cannot forget. We must understand the power and the importance of the who before we get to the do. But, like a lot of people, myself included, when we start asking about the will of God, we tend to be action-orientated. And may your will be done is quite often perceived as this divine checklist of things that I need to accomplish but God's will is first and foremost about us being transformed into a who, about us being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's first calling. That's, that's his first will as far as who we are called to be, transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. You know, if you were to open your Bible and read the Gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus' ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that when people encountered Jesus, they were captivated by him. They, they were intrigued by him. They would drop what they were doing to run to be by him. And not just because of his miracles. It wasn't just because of these incredible miracles he did. It was because of the way that he showed love. The way he extended grace and shared truth with them. You see, the who of Jesus most often preceded what he did. One of our core values as a church uh, picks up on this and tries to encapsulate this a little bit. Our core value of, of encountering Jesus where we weave Jesus into our story so that others experience him through us. You see, this assumes that something different has happened in us before we go do anything in particular. The who precedes the do in this particular value. And if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we should speak different. We should act different. We should hope, love, relate, forgive different than the world around us. That while we are in the world, we are not of the world. While we are in the world, we should not become so adjusted and acquainted with the culture that there's no distinction between us and it. When Paul was trying to explain this to the church in Rome, he said this in Romans 12, 2. He said, do not conform to the patterns of this world. 
Instead, this transformation needs to take place. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens when that renewing of the mind, when we're transformed from the patterns of the world to the patterns of God's kingdom? What happens then? He says right there, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. See, once this transformation takes place, once we're no longer chasing after the pleasures, the possessions, the status of this world, once we are no longer living like sons of Eli, we can then instead have our hearts and our minds aligned, our passions aligned with those of Jesus Christ, and then live to begin revealing him in the world. And when that starts to happen in us, that transformation happens, when the who starts to take root, we can then begin to understand and discern more closely the do of God's will. See, in this verse, we see a relationship between the who and the do. That, Lord, Lord, may your will be done. Lord, may your will be done as we strive to continually fall deeper in love with you and with our neighbors. Lord, may your will be done as we choose to honor your name as we choose to experience the freedom of sin that made possible by Jesus Christ, as we choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, may your will be done as we live by the kingdom principles of the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, Lord may your will be done as we enjoy the abundant life made possible through Jesus Christ. Lord, may your will be done as we are demonstrations of what it means to be a godly husband and father, of a, a godly mother and wife, a citizen in this community. Lord, your will be done as we go forth as ambassadors of the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. Lord, may your will be done in us on earth as it is in heaven. The who precedes the do. That's who God's will is for us to be. But what do we do with those other questions? Those other nagging questions that are still waiting for us when the sermon ends. Those other questions that are still there tomorrow morning when we go to work and we're not sure that's where God wants us. What do you do with those? Especially when there is no specific revelation in Scripture. Who do we marry? What job? What degree? What church? Should I buy Pastor Mark lunch? Questions, important questions like that. It would be easy if there was a, like, like a Christian horoscope section in the Bible. There isn't. There's not. That would make things a lot easier. But there is a promise. And the form of a promise is this, that we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus. That, that's who we are called to be. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there absolutely is a do. There is a do in the will of God. Because God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. God has beautifully created you. He has uniquely gifted you. And he has specifically prepared you for what is ahead. So we should be asking the do questions. And I want to guarantee you that you can discern answers to those questions. Because God wants you to. They're not shrouded in mystery as much as we, as much as we sometimes think they are. Like, think about it for a second. If God specifically, uniquely created and equipped you for a plan that is going to glorify him and build his kingdom, he has no reason to hide it and every reason for you to find it. He wants you to find it. But when people come to ask me, what's God's will for my life? I wish I could tell them. And I can't tell them because I don't know specifically what it is. But I can guide them a little bit. 
And there's, there's a, a multiple ways in which I help people walk through these questions and try to guide them. And there's just a couple I want to share with you today if you're wrestling with some of these questions. If this is something going through your mind, you're not quite sure what to do. Don't forget the who. But when we start to focus upon the do part, I want to give you a couple of steps that you could perhaps consider in this process. Number one, you have to walk the talk. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times people come to me and they say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. You know, whatever it is, God, God, just reveal yourself and I am in, I am all in, I will follow it and I will go. Just point the way. And they start to tell me the story and, and they're, they're, what they're feeling, experiencing, what's happening in them. And I'm sitting in my chair going, you already know. Like, you know, you, you are talking, you are telling me what God's will is. It's not a matter of you discerning it, it's a matter of you coming to terms with it. It's actually what it is. It's a matter of coming to terms with it. But this is, again, where that on earth as is in heaven part comes in. Because when God's will is known in heaven... When the direction is given, the answer is, yes, sir, right away, sir. There's no, well, I don't know if I heard him correctly. Like the angels don't get together and go, I'm just not sure. Let's wait and see if it changes. Let's get together and talk about it. And, and, and then we'll go, but only if, and placing conditions and limitations upon God's will. This happens quite often. I know it happens quite often because it's the exact same thing that I did when I was first wrestling with the call to ministry. I knew I was called ministry. I never doubted it for a moment from the moment that that happened. But I entered into the season of life that I referred to as the great negotiation that God and I had. The season of great negotiation where God called me to ministry. I, I knew that was his calling, his will. And I start over here by saying, no, no, you got the wrong guy. It's not me. God, I thought you were smarter than this. You want me to do this. That, that's, that's not a good idea. We started there. A little bit of time passed, and I went from no to okay. But it's not going to cost me very much. Like, I, I'm not going to give up any comforts. I'm not going to give up any security. I'm not going to give up any status or pride or control of anything. And so as long as we can agree on those terms, we, we have a deal. And then I moved to go. I'm not here yet. I'm here. We have to go which was I know you're calling and I agree to go, but there is no way I will be a pastor. You kind of know how that finishes ahead of the story. There's no way that I'll be a pastor. Now, when you're having negotiations, quite often what happens is one party starts here and one starts here, and then you kind of you do this and you meet in the middle. We just, we just bought a house, and that was where it started. There was a list price, there was our offer, and, and we in the company kind of did this for a little bit, and we came to agreement. You notice what happened in my situation God had his will here. My will started here. God didn't move. God didn't move. I gradually moved as I was aligning my heart and aligning my mind to the point where I could finally say on earth as it is in heaven. That was a progress I went on as he was steadfast in knowing what his will for me was. And we need to make that journey to come to terms with what we know his will to be if we have words to verbalize it already. In order that, we can then go to the next step, which is to step out in faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, first of all, what I want you to understand about this one, we need to understand about this concept, is that it's sometimes approached, God's will is sometimes approached as a kind of a, a, um, a one wrong step and it's over mentality. That's very dangerous. It, it leads us to a lot of fear. 
You see, sometimes we view God's will as this, this narrow kind of tightrope that we just have to walk. And one wrong step, and, and it's over. It's all done. And as you can imagine, that brings a whole lot of fear, and people tend to freeze. And then not actually move or go forward at all. It makes it hard to find God's will, even harder to walk. And it can lead to even more anxiety than perhaps we had before we discerned what God's will just may be. But here's what I want to tell you. If you are living within biblical parameters, if you got the who part in place, where you're living within biblical parameters, which show us the way to live, there is a great degree of freedom that exists within that. Freedom to fail. Freedom to try. When we try things, they don't work out. It doesn't mean we entered into a realm of sin. It doesn't mean we entered into a realm of disobedience. It means we entered into a realm of discovery, of knowing, narrowing of those parameters. I spent a summer during my university years as the chief ranger of Boys Brigade. I oversaw 26-year-olds. If you know me, you know that is not God's will for me. Have you seen that movie Kindergarten Cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's not a tuma. I, I'm not good with kids. Like, I love kids. love being around them. Just overseeing 20 of them is not God's call in my life. But I did it for a semester, and I thought it was productive because I learned that is not what I'm called to do. It was a season of discovery. It was not a season of disobedience for me. So you have this chance. It's not this narrow tightrope. We, we can try things. If we fall off, we know that's not the thing, but it helps us to try again. We've got to take the step before we find out. But here's the second thing. We have to take these steps of faith because that is one thing God cannot do for us. He can't do that for us. That part is completely up to us. He can encourage you. He can equip you. He can direct you. But he cannot make you move. There's this thing called free will. And it is wonderful, but it gets in the way sometimes because we just wish God would say, God, just pull me. Just drag me into it. And he goes, no, I've called you and my hands don't stretch and I'm ready to catch you, but I need you to take the step. Imagine, for example, you're, you're down at Accidental Beach, downtown Edmonton, and you're staying on the shore and you're watching all these tubers go by in the river. And you're thinking, these guys, they, they, they climbed in, they leaned back in their tubes, and now for the most part, to a great extent, the current is what's driving them and directing their path down the river. It looks like fun. And you want to get in. But what's the first step? The first step is you got to leave the beach. you got to get off the beach and get in the water if you're ever going to enjoy tubing down the river with these folks. The same thing applies in God's will. He will reveal to you. He will equip you. He will call you. But the next step is yours. In my great negotiation that went on for two years, I finally took that step. I was praying in my office at home one evening, and, and, and there was this moment where there was a surrendering. And Nadine and I left the shore and jumped in the river. And God showed up in miraculous ways. And his flow, I, I refer to it sometimes when I tell people the whole story, it felt like a roller coaster where God said, finally you got in the car. Now hang on because we've got to make up for lost time. And off we went, and the flow of his river just started taking over as he guided and showed the steps to follow in the will that I had chosen to get into. One reason it took me two years to do that, though, is fear. And this is the third thing. There's fear of where it would head, of, of where it would lead me to. The reason I didn't take that step, I knew what it was. I entered into negotiations. Why did I do that? Why did I wait? It's fear. 
And I decided I want to see the finish line before I step up to the starting line. And that's another challenge I encounter with people in my own life and other people's journeys as well. I want to know the finish line before I step to the starting line. God's response to me was one step at a time. One step at a time. Because I told God, I said, fine, I'll go, but, but I'll be a chaplain. I'll, I'll, I'll work for like a parachurch ministry. I am not going to be the Sunday morning preacher person. That's not going to happen. We weren't done negotiating yet, obviously, because that's where I end up. But as I look back, I can see God's wisdom in this. Because if he had told me at that time of calling in my office that night, if he had said, hey, I need you to jump in the river so we can kind of make this journey because I need you to stand on the platform weekly and, and proclaim the good news. I need you to stand there and share the truth from the word of God. I need you to be that guy. If he had told me that, I would have dug my heels in even more than I already was. And the result would have been I would have missed out on God's will for my life. I would have missed out on the most fulfilling years of my life. Now Isaiah 55 says that for my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, God's higher up the mountain than we are. He can see the whole scene. He, he can see each opportunity and where it leads. He can see each option and, and, and the pros and cons of it. He can see the outcomes of all of these things. He sees the exciting victories and accomplishments that will spur you on to the next step that you cannot see yet because he has not allowed you to. He sees the challenges and the struggles that will equip you for what is ahead and give you confidence that you can continue this walk. He sees the impact that you will have upon others and inspire them to take their step of faith that they would fulfill their callings in their lives. He also knows that if he reveals too much too soon, you'll turn into a groundhog who sees his shadow and just retreats into the hole. And discerning the dew of God's call for our lives, quite often we're only permitted to see the next step for today. What is the step for today? Sometimes we see more. But if you think about it, do we need to see more? If it is a matter of your will be done on earth as is in heaven, do we need to see more than the first step? Because at that first step, we now have a mission set before us. And discerning the due of God's call, that sometimes is all we're given. But if we believe that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect, it's worth taking that step of faith. It's worth the cost. Is there something in your life that God's calling you to do? Is there something that you're being convicted of? If you answer yes to the question, what are you waiting for? Say yes to the opportunity. Leave the comfort zone. Go to the appointment. Release control. Take that step of faith. Just one step at a time. And God will direct your paths. See, when we pray the words, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a checklist of tasks to be accomplished. It's also us affirming and confirming that we are seeking to be the who and to do the do of God's will. And so as you pray about this, as you pray about what this looks like in your own life, the opportunities that exist, we have the chance to apply the model of this prayer that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. Where as we've been learning, we can begin by praying that, that we would open our hearts and our minds to focus upon the awesomeness of God. That we would then focus upon the presence and the power of his kingdom. 
But now we can also add to that, that we would remember and consider the who and the do of God's will for us. Once we've done that, once we reflect upon the awesomeness of God, the presence and the power of his kingdom, and that, Lord, you have a will for who I'm to be and what I'm to go out and do, then, as we'll see next week, we can start bringing our personal petitions, needs, and fears before him with our hearts and minds first set upon those things. See, God's will is not some elusive mystical treasure hunt. He wants you to discover it. He wants you to discover who he's called you to be. He's called you to be one who knows the love, the grace, the truth, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And as you that to yourself, for yourself, that you could be considered a child of God and then go forth to reveal his grace, truth, and love to other people. His will is that you would learn what he has equipped you and called you to do, that you would live by biblical principles and serve him and serve others. And that as you do, opportunities will present themselves for how to serve him further in this world. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to see you, to delight in your ways. Lord, that you would open our hearts to desire you more, that you'd open our minds to want to grow and to learn more about you. God, I pray you would soften our wills that, that drive our passions and our feet and our directions that we walk. Soften our wills, Lord, that we may be transformed to conform to your will. That we would be built into men and women of Christ-like character so that your will may be done in our lives, your will may be done in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. Lord, may your will be done in our nation and throughout the world. May we, you help us to see how we can be a part of that, God. We pray this in your name.